Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome in to the first of the 2023 SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am the somewhat capable, somewhat rested off a of New Year's weekend host, TJ Reese. He is uh, the man that is the purveyor, the owner, the operator of SportsMediaWatch.com. We love the insight. We love the takes of Dr. John Lewis. Happy New Year. It's good to be back with you as we start 2023. Uh, how are things in your world as we get this show kicked off? Well, you know, uh, obviously not the best start of the year, I think, for anybody. Um, you know, uh, Dan Patrick on his show today said that uh, he felt exhausted as he signed off. And, I, mm. you know, uh, I think it was uh, it's strange. You come back from the holidays and you're not just not rested and refreshed, but the opposite. So, you know, sure. uh, yeah. So holiday beyond- weekend with a lot of football and it yeah. culminates with a shocking horrible situation on Monday night in Cincinnati that we're going to get into that is still an evolving story. Uh, let me say a disclaimer. First of all, thank you for finding us. However you did so, John site, a social media link, sportsmediawatch.com or John's Twitter, um, whether you found us those ways, thank you, but also follow or subscribe wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We've got other podcasts that are part of this feed that are kind of on hiatus at the moment. I know George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know will return here in a week or so on this podcast feed uh, in what will be his final season of podcast. Uh, George's seventh season, I believe, will be coming up, a series of shows that uh, he does a great job with sports media interviews with personalities, usually with a Chicago tie, but a lot of times it's been national, John. We keep saying this and keep promoting this. Not only do you hear from the Chicago personalities, but you hear from the likes of, for example, Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, uh, uh, Kevin Harlan, uh, yeah. On and on down the line, Michael Wilbon that tie back to Chicago that are national somehow, some way. Uh, they've all been part of his podcast feed. So uh, we love George's insight. That will return on this feed. You'll get his content as well as Mike Gill and Phil DeMont Mullen back in 2023 uh, here for this year with the announcer schedules podcast. You get all of that on here. They go uh, all about the guys and gals calling games, analysts, play by play, usually on the national level. They have great interviews. You find all of that on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast feed. So make sure you're following or subscribing wherever you get podcasts. And we should say that you and I are doing this on Tuesday evening, almost 24 hours now since the incident on Monday Night Football that has shocked and gripped uh, not only the football world, but the sports world in this country. And that's DeMar Hamlin's collapse on the field during a game that ended up suspending the game rightfully so between the Bengals and the Bills, an enormous Monday night football game was ceased in the first quarter and never resumed. So you may be hearing us and John always, we want to disclaim you may be hearing us later on Wednesday, later on Wednesday afternoon. And you may know more information, obviously than what John and I know at the present time, but we will kind of walk through all of this. 
Uh, so, John, just give me your initial thoughts just from the standpoint of the coverage by the Monday Night Football crew with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on the call, Lisa Salters down on the sideline, Susie Colbert, Adam Schefter, and uh, Booger McFarlane, who lives here in the Tampa Bay area, and I've not had a chance to reach out to Booger to, uh, one, compliment him and to check on him on how he was doing. They were in the studio in New York during all of this coverage. So give me your thoughts and your insight on everything, including the coverage, as we begin, because you are eminently qualified to give us a lot of takes on this. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, well, you know, uh, certainly you don't want to say it was unprecedented because it wasn't. That was one thing that, you know, there was a lot of kind of people saying it was unprecedented when it just plainly wasn't. Adam Schefter So later you just walked right into something we're going to talk about when you're done in a little bit about that very point. Continue on. Yeah. Well, I mean, Adam Schefter was saying he'd never seen an ambulance on the field, but there was an ambulance in the field earlier this year. You know, uh, if you remember, there was a player, I think it was a Lions game and his dad came out of the stands to join him. And, you know, so that there there's precedent for that, you know, precedent for CPR being delivered on, on a player. There was precedent for that, too. I actually saw that earlier in the day. Now, on the Tulane Cotton Bowl, they did a piece about Devon Walker, who was paralyzed, and they showed the footage of Walker having chest compressions done on him back in 2012. And so um, the the interesting thing about that, I was watching the Cotton Bowl and the Citrus Bowl at the same time on a split screen. And as ESPN was doing that feature on Devon Walker, there was a player on Purdue in the Citrus Bowl who was laid out on his back and having to be stretchered off. And, wow. look, you know, the reality of the matter is football is every week someone is having to be stretchered off and you wait for the thumbs up It's with an increasing frequency. Some of that is the nature of every game being televised now. But, you know, it's an increasing frequency and. You know, this was more serious than we're used to. But I mean, even if you go back further now for me, I, I was I was not watching football when the Reggie Brown injury happened in 1997. I never, mm -hmm. never heard about it until yesterday. But, you know, that there's precedent for that. There's precedent for a player dying. Chuck Hughes in 1971. I'd never heard of that either. It's also a little and bit. By, and by the way, I'm older and I did not know that story, but I was able to look into it. And again, you and I will talk about that part a little more back and forth here in a few minutes. But keep going. I don't yeah. want to derail you, especially on the coverage. Keep going. Yeah. I mean, I just think there is an element of those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And it is weird that this, you know, the history of this stuff happening in football has been maybe maybe not maybe whitewashed to an extent to the point that people don't even have a point of reference when these things have happened. Um, so, you know, that that's one thing I wanted to point out as far as the coverage itself. I mean, so r right off the bat, uh, everyone has already praised Scott Van Pelt and justifiably. So uh, Scott has proven that he has the same capability, you know, uh, Scott Van Pelt, in my view, reminds me a little bit of Peter Jennings, which is kind of a maybe a strange comparison to make. But what Peter Jennings did uh, in those most significant moments, particularly 9-11, uh, that Dan Rather didn't do, that Tom Brokaw didn't do, was that he communicated in a personable way that was relatable 
He, you know, uh, Dan Rather always had his little folksy aphorisms, including on 9-11 itself, which was a little bit jarring. If you ever watch the CBS News footage and Brokaw, very, you know, I mean, Brokaw's there's nothing personable about Brokaw's stuff. It was almost robotic is a word exactly. I will use. Yes, exactly. But Jennings, he always came off as if he was giving you his real emotion without making himself the show, which is a very difficult thing to do in TV news. Uh, and uh, Ben Pelt has that. He doesn't have the uh, gravitas of Bob Lee or Jeremy Schapp, obviously, right? But what he has that Lee and Schapp really never had, as, as great as they have been, is the ability to blend handling these stories in a, in an appropriate journalistic fashion, while at the same time doing so in a relatable way that almost seems like he's just like you mm -hmm. reacting. Mm -hmm. So uh, he's, you know, look, I mean, he's proven time and time again that he uh, belongs where he is as the sports center anchor of record. He has his own sports center at midnight. It's the, the main sports center for post games. He's their primary anchor even though it's never really been said, but he is their primary anchor. He's where Dan and Keith used to be. You could probably argue, even though nobody really has said it, that he's in the top four or five sports center anchors of all time. And I, he would probably, even though he probably knows deep down that it's true, he probably would, would not welcome that statement. Right. Uh, but, but he's working on a 20-year run doing yeah. sports center. Now, see, yeah. I'm old enough and I followed golf and you really did not. I still remember Scott Van Pelt on the golf channel for numerous years, which was his background, including the golf channels, nightly golf central program. And that led the entree to him being a sports center anchor. But, John, he's practically been there 20. Uh, he's probably been oh, there yeah. 21 or 22 years doing sports center. And oh, at least I'll even submit. Him. I'll submit to you. He, I think he now has the gravitas like you're talking about of what a Bob Lee is. Or when we talked before about Fred Hickman, Nick Charles on CNN, that they were must see appointment TV in the 80s and 90s for CNN Sports Tonight. Or if you're talking about Chris Berman uh, delivering the sports news on Sports Center as he did for so many years, Dan and Keith, like you mentioned, yeah. I think Van Pelt is right there and should be right yeah. there just to echo what you're saying. Keep going. Yeah, no, I mean, that's absolutely. And, and uh, look, the reality of the matter is everybody is saying this. I'm not breaking any new ground. I mean, I, I saw uh, Seth Mandel of, I think it's a Washington examiner praising Scott Van Pelt yesterday. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, everybody, whether they're in sports or not in sports uh, took notice. And it is worth noting, by the way, that, this was Monday Night Football after the Rose Bowl. Mm -hmm. Two of the biggest teams in the league on ABC and ESPN and ESPN2 and ESPN+. There was a massive audience watching this. And so this will be a lot like a darker version, of course, of the Joe Beisman injury, where so many people were seeing it. It was a communal viewing experience to see Joe Beisman break his leg. And so this is... Again, much darker, obviously, but reminiscent of that. There were a lot of people watching that. So there were a lot of people watching Scott Van Pelt do uh, the, you know, I wouldn't even say an excellent job, even though he did do an excellent job, but he did the job that is now expected of him uh, and, and the job that really uh, he 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 got after COVID on March 11th of 2020 when he anchored uh, in the immediate aftermath of the NBA suspending its season. 
And uh, I think the expectation is now he can do that. Look, many years ago, if something went down, you had Bob Lee, right? Mm -hmm. 9-11 happens, you get Bob Lee in there, right? Boston Marathon bombing, Bob Lee. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe Jeremy Schapp, but they don't, you know, they. it's not just because they've kind of downsized on the outside the lines element. It's also because Van Pelt can do it. He's the guy that mm -hmm. they turn to for that. So, you know, uh, he did a great job. Lisa Salters, in my view, is, you know, if not the best, uh, who's, I mean, look, sideline reporting is a very thankless job. So I can't come up with, and you, you've done it. You're smiling. I'm, smi no I'm smiling at you. John right. and I can see each other and we're going to have yeah. fun with facial expressions and different stuff off the air. You know, yeah. this is what I've done on the radio for going on 20 years. So when you said sideline reporting can be a thankless job, I can identify with a lot of that because uh, people don't understand that a lot of times you're precluded from what you're able to cover. Right. In some cases, when you work for a team, you can't talk about things you've seen or you know. It's a difficult situation, and you just kind of roll on and, and let it roll and let it roll off your back. But continue on about Lisa Salters. Go. Yeah. So it's a it's a thankless job, and so it's a difficult job to do well. And you know, I would say if we're talking about who's the best who ever do it, I mean, I think Lisa Salters. Mm -hmm. The only person, in my view, who would have an argument would be Michelle Tafoya. And I, I, I think Michelle Tafoya was truly great and handled these breaking news moments quite well. But in my view, I think Lisa Salters is probably the best to ever do that sideline role. Um, you know, I mean, and, and last night uh, she was excellent as well. All By the book, this gives you the information you need. Uh, the emotion that she showed in the live hit with Van Pelt was also on point and you know emotion. it was real it was yeah. real we saw that from her and yeah. i totally get it because i've been in these kind of situations where you've been going for a couple of hours and you're almost in the mode of work 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 do your job be professional that you don't have time to be human mm -hmm. and then suddenly it will hit you at some point an hour into it an hour and a half into it later that night after you're done man i almost watched somebody die on a right. football field. Let's be adults. Let's just be real. That that's where I think it was hitting her that right. I've had time to process all of this. And I'm now talking through it again. And, and I very nearly watched somebody die and I'm on live TV with tens of millions of people. I still think that Scott Van Pelt sports center probably had anywhere from 15, my guess, 20 million, maybe more still watching yeah. in the 10 PM hour, just because the story had gone everywhere right. and you wanted the latest information and ESPN was live on site. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you know, Lisa Salters, uh, to me, you know, she, she did, she did an excellent job. I think one of the things that makes Lisa Salters really good at what she does is she does already view the players as humans, which I mean, everybody mm -hmm. does, but you know, you see them as these gladiators and, uh, you know, I, I she's, She's the mother of a of a black son, I believe. That maybe maybe adds to it a little bit. You see a little bit of your own child in, in that. And, you know, I've always gotten the sense that even back to the Draymond thing, I, I did an interview with her um, a few years ago and was asking her about the Draymond scenario where Draymond was having this ridiculous meltdown in the locker room. I, I, I believe it was the game where Steph ended up hitting that three from half court. And, you know, when she, what she was saying to me was that she could hear the pain in Draymond's voice, right? And, you know, not everyone is going to look at it like that. Not everyone is going to feel the empathy, really, in that way. Uh, and I think that she has an empathetic aspect that 
is very helpful, especially in moments like this, because, you know, emotion with people in journalism is it can be sometimes a little fraudulent. We all have seen the movie Broadcast News, right? Mm. Uh, and uh, who was the who was the male lead for in that? Those, for those that don't know, you're you're going back to like the late '80s, early '90s. That's William Hurt, Holly Hunter. Give me ten bonus points because we didn't rehearse this. And Albert Brooks hey, and yeah, the William right. and the William Hurt character very famously manufactures tears to seem genuinely upset or moved by by an important story that he's covering and reporting. He came back and edited the story together with his fake tears. And it becomes a big part of the plot in broadcast news that he's a fraud. He's not a genuine person. He's only looking to get ahead. Uh, so that's the reference you're making. Score yourself five bonus points with me for a broadcast yeah. news reference because the millennials, the Gen Zers, they have no idea what we're talking about. Go back and go back and find that from the 80s or the 90s. Yeah, well, they showed it on syndication one day, and I caught it. <laughs> you know, but look, uh, you know, the, be uh, the, be the best are the Albert Brooks lines when he's making fun yeah. of William Hurd, who doesn't know everything. When he says something like, "I believe I have the line right." Do you know who the twelve Supreme Court justices are? And he says, "Yes." He says, "Even if they're only seven. <laughs> so he's yeah. just making fun yeah. of him yeah. of what you don't know. You're only here because you're good looking yeah. and you're the anchor type. But go ahead, go ahead with the rest. A quick funny story about Albert Brooks. I was watching the Bob Einstein documentary and it showed that Albert Brooks was his brother, which I had no idea of, which means that his name is in actuality Albert Einstein. Which or I or it could be Albert Einstein. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Isn't it Bob some, Einstein? I'm not I, sure. I'm going with you on whatever you have right now. You're rolling in the new year, and I'm just going with you. I okay. love the broadcast news right. reference. But uh, you know, but the reason I brought that up is because so often emotion in TV mm -hmm. news comes off that way. You know, I look back at Katrina, right? And Katrina was a lot of a lot of emotion, a lot of anchors showing emotion in a way that didn't always, you know, sometimes it just seemed like people were trying to build their careers, right? And maybe I'm off base, but you know, I don't want to name names, but there was, a, there was an anchor at CNN who was up and coming, and he was really, really emotional throughout Katrina. And then all of a sudden, he had Aaron Brown's time slot. And he's, you know, he's been consistently in prime time there ever since. There was an anchor at Fox News who was very emotional, and maybe it was all real emotion. But there was something about it that just came off to me a little showy, a little bit like I'm trying to audition for my next big thing, hmm. right? And the reality of the matter is, you, you know, you're not always right judging whether people's emotions are fake or real, but Lisa Salters came off very real. There was no, there was no artifice there. Okay. So, yeah. so I have something for you because again, we've got a lot to cover with this and we are going to talk college football playoff and we're leading to the championship game that's coming next Monday because we know what the ratings were for those games and those broadcasts. We don't know the NFL's numbers at the time that John and I are doing this. I want to hit you with something, and I want your response in terms of the coverage. Um, again, these are people at the highest level. But as things unfolded after a few minutes on the field, and ESPN kept taking a commercial and another commercial, I was surprised, and I am going to be critical here, that Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were not more at the forefront of talking about what's going on from inside the stadium when they're there and ESPN instead kept deferring to Susie Colbert, Adam Schefter, and Booger McFarlane in a studio who are not there, who are in New York, in the ESPN studio in New York where they do the Sunday countdown and the Monday night. Eventually, after about a half hour, they finally got back to Buck and Aikman for an extended 
time. These are stalwarts of covering the game. Troy Aikman playing the game, winning at the highest level in the Hall of Fame. Joe Buck, Emmy Award winning. You talk about gravitas. I wanted more from them about what they were sensing and what they were getting. Okay, that's my take. I value your take more than my take. Am I off base with that, with them deferring to the studio for the first half hour or so? It seemed like so awkward. And Susie Colbert even said at one point, to add to this, I I don't know what else I can say. I don't know what else we're supposed to say at this point. Amen. You're not even at the game. And so, okay, my thoughts. What are your thoughts on that point real quick, please? Well, I differ a little bit uh, in terms of I was fine with Buck and Aikman. I thought they handled it perfectly well. Joe Buck does not want to go viral for speculating or saying Mm -hmm. something wrong. And sometimes when you don't have anything to add, needing to fill the vacant airspace with your own voice can get really dangerous. You know, I didn't actually, I haven't tweeted anything since, you know, since all this happened, because for me, you know, what exactly am I going to say? Unless I have concrete information that I can add, there's nothing useful that I can actually say. You can only say something obvious or something offensive in these scenarios, right? That's it. You're either going to speak the obvious or you're going to say something that's totally inappropriate. You know, and so my viewpoint is unless you have information to add, just don't say anything, you know, to go back to 9-11, they interviewed Donald Trump on the air. You've probably heard this mm-hmm. for no reason. They interviewed Donald Trump during 9-11. He talks about how he has big, the biggest skyscraper in New York again. Right. I mean, like you, sometimes <laughs> in, in, in these scenarios, you just you keep quiet. You don't but say isn't it. Isn't it fair to say they're there? At the stadium. Right. And after the second or third time that we're watching Susie Kolber, Booger McFarlane and Adam Schefter, who's right. an information guy, tell us we don't really know anything. We've given you our thoughts. It's one of two things. I, I was in a lot of communication, John, on Monday night with a lot of different people, people in the broadcast industry, Buccaneer people. Again, I worked for an NFL team, NFL, couple of NFL people about what was being done. And whether or not they would resume the game or not, we were all having a debate off the air. And again, I stayed largely off social media as well. But I I kept saying to all of these people, go back to the Emmy Award winning Hall of Fame caliber broadcasting people you have who are there, who can at least tell you about what's going on there. Either that or option two, move on to Sports Center like mm-hmm. a baseball rain delay. Let them talk about it. Cover other things. Go to other things. If you're no longer going to go to the stadium, just that was my that was my take. So follow up on that and we'll move on. Well, a lot of this is on the NFL. Uh, It should have been obvious. That game probably should have been called a lot earlier. And so ESPN was forced to fill a lot of time. And the main game broadcast was forced to fill a lot of time because they technically the game broadcast was still going on. The game was suspended. But, you know temporarily they might come mm-hmm. back out and play so that a lot of that's on the nfl for them having to fill that much time you know are you allowed to say that they're giving cpr you know buck waited i he, he, i think it's clear that they knew he was undergoing cpr before they mentioned it on air 
you got to be really, really sensitive in these scenarios, uh, especially when you're doing a live TV broadcast. Can I add to what you're saying? Okay, so I heard Sal Capaccio, who's my kind of counterpart. He's a great radio host in Buffalo. He's the sideline guy on the Bills Network. All right, so he's there on the sideline working his broadcast duties. He could not really see what was going on by the ambulance because he was not allowed on the field, and you've got an encircled group, three or four deep of players. He couldn't tell. He was not aware of what we were finding out from ESPN up high until several minutes later when players had come over to him and said it's CPR being performed on the field and it's not good, then he was aware. Now, the interesting aspect, here we are in the present age with the internet, with social media immediately. There were media members up high who could see what was going on, could see CPR being performed, and they were tweeting out of the press box in Cincinnati. Uh, what do they call it now? Paycor Stadium. I think I got the sponsor right, the old Paul Brown Stadium. So, again, several minutes go by with these people being able to see it and they're reporting what they're seeing. You're not in a circumstance any longer where you can simply just sit back and act like it didn't happen and we'll just wait when other people are saying this is what's happening. I'm just putting that out there as well as we add um, to the discussion. What else? And then I want to get to the precedent and the other things that had happened before because I want to talk about that part too with you. What else? Well, you know, I mean, look, when it comes down to it, this is the internet age. It's a very interesting time that we live in because there's more video footage everywhere. And yet at the same time, there's more, I mean, I don't know if you'd call it censorship or maybe just sensitivity. You know, the reality of the matter is if something like 9-11 happened today, we would have video footage from inside the towers. We'd have video footage from people inside the towers we have so much more graphic material. And at the same time, because we also have Twitter as an ombudsman for a lot of the media, the penalties for showing that are dramatically higher than they were in 2001. Albeit in 2001, even just showing the falling man was considered a tremendously insensitive thing to do. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the fact is in the pre-Twitter era, back when you had to go make a phone call to register your disapproval of something that happened in the media, there was a lot more, you know, leash, I would say. Uh, and the reality of the matter is, you know, like, for example, there's this new thing going around on, on, on Twitter, right, where any depiction of an event like uh, Hamlin's collapse or like when Bob Lee collapsed the other day, any depiction of that is viewed as fundamentally insensitive. You know, you I mean remember Bob Rathbun. Do you mean Bob, Bob Rathbun, yes, Bob the announcer? Rathbun. Yeah, I got you. Not on Bob that. Lee, the the Bob basketball Rathbun. announcer on an Atlanta Hawks broadcast right. is what you're referring to. Continue exactly. on. Yeah. And uh, any depiction of that, you know, even if it's just showing this is what just happened, right, is viewed as fundamentally insensitive. Um, and which, you know, I mean, I understand that to an extent, but also at the same time, you also are trying to convey and, uh, you know, I guess it really comes down to, do you need to see the footage to understand the story? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. Um, but, you know, I remember watching uh, Outside the Lines on ESPN uh, many years ago, right? Many, many years ago. And they showed, I mean, it might not have been outside the lines, it was something on, I believe, ESPN, but they showed Clint Malarchuk getting his throat cut, right? With the skate, also hockey player, right, right. right. 
You know, it was a story about Clint Malarchuk and they showed the footage. And I mean, it was basically like if you were watching it live as it happened, because ultimately the footage of Clint Malarchuk's and Clint Malarchuk is alive. Mm-hmm. But the footage of Clint Malarchuk is infinitely more graphic than anything. Correct. Even, even from last night. Frankly, it's more graphic than anything I've ever seen on TV, including 9-11, which as graphic as that was, we did not see the gore. Mm-hmm. I mean, Clint Malarchuk is the goriest footage I, I've ever seen. Bleeding from the throat. There's blood on the ice. That's right. what you're talking about. And it was exactly. live on a hockey game on TV. Right. Yes, that's and, what you're referring to. And this was shown again, right? Because, you know, mm-hmm. I, this was probably 2000, 2001 or something like that. And so that would not happen today because one, you know, people would render their complaints, even if there'd been a warning, you just, you're not going to show something like that. That's for, you know, the obscure internet sites to do, but mainstream mm-hmm. so it's not going to do that. So things have changed in a lot of ways. And the reality of the matter is, I think that influences as much as anything, as, as much as anything, why Buck and Aikman were very quiet. Okay. Because if, if we are to believe that showing this stuff is tactless, then even describing it in more detail than you need to is also going to be tactless. Now, that gets to a point where are we losing information that we need, mm-hmm. but you know, I think that's the mindset. You can't be lukewarm, though. If you're covering it, those are the most qualified. I'm just saying this is me again. If you're covering it, those are the most qualified people. Go to Lisa Salters, have them talk about it. Because it, by the third segment with Susie Kolber and and Booger and Adam Schefter, it was painful. to. It, I'm using yeah. that word. It was painful to watch them without information having to continue to talk because whomever at ESPN had not yet made the decision, let's just start Sports Center and go ahead. Right. The game had not been called yet. I understand that. But you could have started Sports Center, and if the game is going to resume, you alert everybody we're going to resume the game. It's like a baseball rain delay in that regard. Live programming, live show. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, let's cover another aspect of this, and I promise we'll get to some other subjects here in a few minutes uh, with John on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. So you mentioned the uh, the mindset that began very early on. This is unprecedented. There's nothing like this. 
it frustrated me and it frustrated me to the point that the only thing I commented on on social media, that, uh, I put this out there and I think you saw it as well, that while it's a horrible situation, there is precedent for this. There was actually an arena football player killed in a televised game, a regionally televised game in 2005, making a tackle in a game between the L.A. team and the New York team in the Arena Football League in the spring of 2005, in May of 2005, the player's name was Al Lucas. And in that case, they took him off the field with CPR being performed. They took him to a local hospital, and they resumed the game, and they played the rest of the Arena Football game. So that took me, knowing that, less than 90 seconds to Google it and find it. I remembered right off the top of my head two other ones. Obviously, the Hank Gathers Loyola Marymount 1990 on the court, West Coast Conference basketball tournament game. One of the leading players in the country in terms of scoring and rebounding collapses and dies during the middle of a tournament game. And, and they stopped the game and they never resumed the game. And they carried him off the floor and he died later at the hospital. And that story became an unreal story of overcoming the death and the shock with Loyola Marymount winning games in the NCAA tournament. That's a very famous thing. I know it was 30 years ago, but it's a very famous thing that a lot of the older ESPN people should have known about and talked about. I'll keep going down the list. I did not know the Chuck Hughes one from the NFL, but if you had just simply Google searched or been looking on social media, there were people putting out there NFL player death 1971, and you could have found that. There was a very famous incident in 2005, the same year as the arena football player dying, of a uh, Detroit Red Wing hockey player whose name is Yuri Fisher. You know where I'm going with this, John. You can see me. And again, feel free to interrupt me. Put your hand up. John and I can see each other. If I'm if I'm monologuing too much, I'm just giving you information uh, to the audience and with John here. Yuri Fisher collapsed on the bench during a Detroit Red Wings game, which was a home game. During the game, they resuscitated him. They gave him CPR for six minutes. The images of Mike Babcock, the coach behind the bench, waving and the players waving, get over here, get the paramedics over here. That happened during a game. In that instance, the game uh, was stopped and they did not resume it. And they actually started over at a later date because it was a regular season NHL game. The point that I am making, and by the way, there was another famous incident just last summer. Forget about stuff we're talking about in 1990 or 2005. Last summer, the Danish national soccer team and Christian Eriksson suffered a similar cardiac event during a Euro Cup game with Finland. The version of the European Cup, a level below the World Cup, was being played. Denmark and Finland were in an important match. It was near the end of the first half. He had a cardiac event where it required doctors in attendance and paramedics to revive him on the field in front of his teammates, in front of the fans. And they resumed that game that day. After about a 20-minute delay, they resumed that game. They finished that game because he had been a, a, more responsive when he left the field, and they resumed it. Okay, I say all that to say I just listed five things that you could find almost immediately. To yeah. stop all of the we've never seen anything like this before stuff. And I'm just going to put it out there that someone at the producer level, someone at the highest levels of ESPN should have started to rein that in and then bring context. Not that you relive it for the sensational gory factor, but at least for the news and the parallel and a reference point. All right, John, I said a lot there. Your reaction to that on the whole mindset of this has never happened. This is unprecedented, which it clearly was not. 
Well, I mean, maybe to be to 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 give a little bit of benefit of the doubt, maybe the unprecedented aspect is he was in the field of play and just made a play, just made a play. Uh, if I recall, a lot of those and a lot of this, uh, there's a lot of examples from hockey, including one from mm-hmm. about two years ago. Uh, and a lot of those hockey examples, this is happening on the bench. Correct. Uh, so uh, certainly Jerry Fisher was was on the bench. Um, and so someone collapsing on the field of play while actually in the act of playing is more rare and something that might be, I wouldn't necessarily say more disturbing because it's disturbing anyway, but certainly when it happens, not just on the field of play, but like actually in the act of playing, maybe that is a little bit more um, you valid know. point. But again, in the in the case of Christian Eriksen, the Danish soccer player yeah. that was on the field of play in a prominent European soccer game. I know that it's Europe. Yeah. Let me go back and you love this. All right. Let me go back to the night in March of 1990 when Hank Gathers passed away. Totally different time with no Internet, with no social media, with no cell phones. The first time I'm a college student in Memphis, Tennessee, I had gravitated to that Loyola Marymount team and who hadn't, because if you were watching late night basketball in the 1990, January, February months, they were on all the time and they were exciting to watch. So we did not become aware of this until the Sunday night sports center. Again, there's no internet. There's no social media. And Chris Berman that night, the two Chris's Chris Berman was doing sports center that night along with Chris Fowler, who was being given a rare early opportunity to host SportsCenter. They are the anchors that night. This is on YouTube, by the way, for John and the audience. You can go back and watch the live coverage from ESPN that night of Hank Gathers' collapse. Some people put it up on YouTube. I remember Chris Berman saying, and, and the hair on the back of my neck is standing up, this is 33 years ago now this March. We're going to show this, and you may not want to watch. And they showed it. They showed Hank Gathers collapsing after a free throw, and they showed him writhing on the ground. They showed it all, John. That happened on ESPN's airwaves. And they showed him being resuscitated. They cut to more, a cutaway of of something else. They cut to more footage of him being carried off the floor. They showed it all. And they showed it again later, and they talked about it again later in a different time, just so everybody knows. And they talked about that story for an hour, and they went to another Chris, Chris Myers, who I'm I'm uh, really good friends with in the media, who was the Los Angeles Bureau reporter, the head of everything West Coast kind of for them as a reporter, who had gone to the hospital, much like what you saw on Monday night, and was giving updates on the situation where, where yeah. he found out, and he was one of the first ones to uh, confirm that Hank Gathers has passed away from what went on at the hospital. So I'm just giving you context on how it was covered because that was during a game, not a game ESPN was televising, but they showed it all that night in 1990 in a different time. Your thoughts on that just real quick. Yeah, well, again, and uh, I I remember uh, seeing that footage on ESPN years later in a retrospective. They showed it. They probably wouldn't show it today. Uh, sensitivities haven't probably changed, although maybe they have, but Twitter has created this, you know, there's an enormous backlash and people will get, you know, it's, it's much easier for people to, to render their disagreement. Um, I don't know, you know, I mean, I think it is important to see disturbing things when they happen. Uh, we can't keep sanitizing everything in life. You know, there's so many things that we don't see. So, to go back once more to 9-11, because that's, the, you know, obviously the most significant mm-hmm. day any of us have lived through. 
Um, we didn't see, even in the less sanitized era of that time, we didn't see everything that they were seeing overseas. And so the horror of that day, maybe didn't even, I mean, like, as so, you know, for me, I, w I started watching from the very beginning, uh, mm -hmm. like from when Carol Lynn says there's, you know, a problem at the World Trade Center on CNN, and you're watching the entire thing. And it was obviously a horrific thing to watch, but ultimately what you're seeing is two buildings collapse. You know what I mean? You're not seeing the human toll. The human toll is mm -hmm. from the people who are jumping out of the buildings. And really, we only saw the one. And that one, the falling man, was awful enough that people were like, don't ever show this again. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that overseas they saw more than we did because it's just a different... It's just a different culture. The standards and what yeah. they allow and what they show agreed is different. Well, you know, the sanitization, you know, uh, it's not always a good thing. And, and sometimes you need to see the realities of life. Uh, and uh, certainly you don't want to do so in a way. I guess the real thing is you just don't want to do so in a way that's exploitative and, you know, gawky. Right. You know, you don't want to you don't, you don't want to be doing you know, the kind of stuff that, you know, teenage boys are mm -hmm. looking up graphic video or whatever. You don't want you don't want to do that kind of thing. So, you know, I mean, I I don't know. It's it's a tough one. I, I will say as far as, um, you know, as far as as all of that went with with Buck and Aikman, you know, the reality of the matter is that it's just far safer to kind of not necessarily say everything that you're seeing, even, you know, you just never know. Uh, one, it's probably important to keep in mind, you don't really know who's watching. Now, Hamlin's mother was at the arena or the stadium, but Correct. Maybe he has other family. Maybe you don't Correct. want to say, hey, he's getting CPR and chest compressions when his family is watching the game. You know, so I, I think, you know, that's an element of it uh, as well. Sensitivity. Um I don't know. It, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to figure out. So, uh, you know, we've discussed Buck and Aikman, Scott Van Peltley's assaulters. I would also note uh, Michael Leaves and Zubin Mahenti, who anchored the breaking news coverage of Kobe Bryant's death three years ago. Uh, they were both doing Sports Center. I can't recall whether they were doing it separately with different partners or together, but they both did Sports Center last night. It's obvious that even for being relative newcomers to ESPN, although Eves has probably been there maybe six, seven, eight years now, even being relative newcomers to ESPN, it's clear that the network goes to them in these types of uh, moments, which I think says something, particularly with Mehendi, who, you know, lost that uh, morning show job. He had some health issues and then he ended up losing the morning show job. Uh, so it, it's good to see that, uh, you know, he's still getting those prime assignments and and he's certainly he, and can I just add, he's excellent off the cuff in asking the right questions in breaking events and things like that. I've seen him numerous times do that. Compliments to him uh, on that. So, yes. Yes. And I, I have to confess, I didn't watch anybody else other than ESPN. I don't know who yeah. else handled it or covered it. And again, there were media members in Cincinnati, Cincinnati local coverage, media members for the Buffalo Bills that were there, that were tweeting, that were covering, that were live after the game, et cetera. That'll all sort out. I wasn't privy to that. I know you're not privy necessarily to those except through social media of seeing who's covering it and, and finding out um, the, the information. Um, and as again, as we release the podcast, we don't know if they're ever going to play this game. The NFL has said right, right now that game is not rescheduled. 
And as we head into Wednesday and later in the week, we believe all things being equal, if DeMar Hamlin's condition is still stable and, and good, the Buffalo Bills will follow through and host the New England Patriots in play and the Cincinnati Bengals will play the Baltimore Ravens on what is the final weekend of the season, at least for now. And 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 it, it appears the NFL is waiting to see how does this final weekend play out for playoffs, for playoff slotting for those two teams, for the Kansas City Chiefs, for potentially the Baltimore Ravens, who still have a chance to win the division and get a home playoff game yeah. in this scenario. They're going to wait for that to, to play out. Now, that may change, audience. You may know that if you're hearing us on Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night. John and I don't know that right now as we release the podcast midweek here on uh, on that detail. Anything else there, or do you want to move on off of that? Um, Have we talked it through? Yeah, I will. I just will note, uh, you know, it's impossible to really know what the best way forward is. I've heard people say they should just postpone all the games this week. Uh, my view is, you know, I strongly doubt that would happen. That's a com- to me. Can I go stronger? That's a complete yeah. overreaction. That's a complete overreaction to stop everything five or six days later when the player is stable and life does need to go on every which direction. That's a complete overreaction from where I from where I sit. Well, you know, I mean, my point of view is sometimes I do feel like there's a do something impulse, particularly in circumstances where we have no control. And so people want to advocate for the strongest possible action so that we can say we did something even when we haven't really done much of anything. I don't necessarily know. In my view, it's all up to the players. Uh, you know, if you're if the players are uh, and I'm not talking about the players in the Bills or the Bengals, I'm talking about the ones on the mm-hmm. other teams. If they are so affected that they don't feel like playing this week, then, you know, that's that's up to them. Uh I I don't know that we need to talk about week 19 or all this stuff. It's really simple to me. A few months ago, three Virginia football players were murdered on a team bus and Virginia mm-hmm. didn't play another game all year. And that made sense. Uh, I would expect that unless DeMar Hamlin is totally fine in the next few days, I don't think that Buffalo is going to be ready even to play coming up on Sunday. So just let Buffalo play their 15 games and just accept that the standings are going to be a little screwed up and that the result of all of this is that Buffalo is not going to be the one seed or whatever. Who cares, really? Let everybody else play. Buffalo can be 15 games. Cincinnati can be 15 games if they need to be and just keep everybody else on schedule. I, I don't see the need to either push everything back this week or even to push it back just so Buffalo and Cincinnati can play. Let's just call this 15 games for those two teams and move on. It would surprise me if he's doing better. And again, we we hope as Tuesday has become Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday night, that he continues to improve. It would surprise me if Buffalo, who's slated to be at home with no travel, doesn't rally around each other and go ahead and play the final game this weekend. We'll see what they do. We'll see yeah. what the NFL does. And you definitely, from a competition standpoint, have a sticky situation if they're not having to play the Patriots who have to win, what do you do there? The Patriots have to win to guarantee their playoff spot. The Bills want home field advantage if they can get it and an off week on the wild card weekend. How do you reconcile that from a competitive standpoint on the field with the NFL? And as this becomes Wednesday, becomes Thursday, those questions get more prevalent on how do you reconcile that? Let's just see what the NFL 
chooses uh, to do. And one more quick thing that we didn't we didn't really cover. There's uh, eerie footage that is out there. I saw it on social media as well, and I was not remembering this, but a similar thing to what we believe happened to Damar Hamlin actually happened to an NHL player, Chris Pronger, where he took a puck to the chest, a 90 to 100 mile an hour puck, a shot to the chest, literally, where you don't have much chest protection on in the National Hockey League. And very similarly, it knocked his heart out of rhythm, literally, the cardiac condition, and it is spooky. And it's Mike Emmerich and John Davidson, very famous broadcasters on the Fox coverage of the National Hockey League, were calling that game nationally, I believe, of Detroit and St. Louis Blues when that happened. And John Davidson realized immediately Pronger's in serious trouble. They're getting the doctors out on the ice. There is an eerie, spooky shot of Pronger very quickly on the live to tape with his eyes, the vacant eyes are open, took a puck to the chest. Unfortunately, there have been other incidents in hockey, in baseball, of a puck or a ball hitting someone very hard in the chest and it knocks your heart out of rhythm. We're not doctors. We're not even saying this is what happened. I'm saying it was what could have happened with DeMar Hamlin. But there is another incident with that in the NHL. And all I'm saying is it's a freak thing in an inherently dangerous game of pro football this was more than likely a freak blow to the chest that did this and so whatever psychological help players need to get back and be able to play that's a day-to-day thing how that will unfold you and i don't know but it's all part of the discussion let's see what the nfl does let's see what the players do let's see what the bills players do let's see what happens john anything else on that before we move on um, well, you know, I mean, look, ultimately it was a freak accident. It doesn't even really fit into the, you know, comfortable narrative of the NFL is, you know, doing this and that. I mean, it could happen anywhere, you know, mm-hmm. ultimately. Little League Baseball, it's happened, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. horribly, with a player getting hit with a ball, a batted yeah. ball. It's happened in hockey and youth league right. hockey. This has happened. It's tragic. It's awful. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, you know, there's just very little control over what anyone can do. Really nothing that anyone can can do to really prevent this kind of thing. One would think maybe I'm wrong about that. And, uh, you know, um, yeah, when it comes down to it, uh, this just you hope these things don't happen again. But there's really we just it's a freak thing and freak things very sadly happen all the time. Horrible, but hopefully we get a happier ending as the next couple of days unfold. All right, speaking of happier, let's brighten it up a little bit. We talked a lot uh, about that NFL situation. Let's go back to college football. And now the college football playoff has sorted out with TCU and Georgia in two phenomenal semifinal games played on New Year's Eve. You and I left this podcast, Dr. John Lewis, wondering, would they be good games? You must have said good games are the most important thing about eight times. And you were right. Uh, because the ratings are already in for those, so give us the insight, but a tremendous, dramatic win by TCU in the Fiesta Bowl led into, right as the ball was dropping, a last-second dramatic win by Georgia where Ohio State missed what would have been the game-winning field goal in the final seconds of semifinal number two in the Peach Bowl that night. They could not have gotten any more dramatic, exciting finishes in both games. So how did it translate? And it now leads to TCU and Georgia playing the championship game this coming Monday in Los Angeles. 
Yeah, well, these games happened last year, and they feel like they happened last year. <laughs> um, you know, so look, it was uh, great numbers. Georgia, Ohio State, twenty two point one million, which is the most for any CFP semifinal in five years, with the obvious out of home caveat because Ohio State, Clemson, in twenty nineteen had nearly as many viewers, twenty one point two million, without any out of home. All things being equal, Ohio State, Clemson definitely had more viewers, but. Uh, based on the numbers we have, it was the most watched uh, CFP semifinal since uh, Georgia, Oklahoma. We know that New Year's countdowns affected the numbers because that classic thrilling game peaked at halftime. It peaked from 945 to mm-hmm. 10 p.m. Eastern. And so uh, that that how much was- did it dip in the next hour? So did they lose yeah. a couple million. Did they lose significantly more as people and- went to dinner, went out for New Year's Eve? Do we know? No idea. No idea. Honestly, I'll, I'll have to ask. Uh, but uh, I would imagine I would imagine the final quarter hour was still fairly healthy. But when you're peaking at twenty three point nine million from nine forty five to ten, you should end up, you know, somewhere much higher than that for the final quarter hour. And and it did not work out that way. A lot of people, uh, I imagine, having to fight over the remote with their loved ones who wanted to watch Ryan Seacrest, who apparently <laughs> is still around. Uh, and uh, all the look, countdown shows. Yeah. But again, there is a segment. This is not me any longer socially. And again, I keep making John laugh. I'll make the audience laugh. I have been a bachelor for about four days with my family. My wife and my twins and my in-laws went on a seven-day cruise starting last Friday on the 30th before New Year's Eve. So it has been me doing work and being bachelor with the dog. So I did not go out and carouse, let's just say, on Saturday. I was in to watch the games no matter what. But there are millions of people, John, in the Eastern and Central time zone that were going out to dinner or going out to a New Year's Eve party or going out to something and probably – a significant part of that that are sports fans would have been watching the end of that game. And this is the pitfall of having these on new year's Eve. I'm just curious because you have it all in front of you at all times. How did these do in comparison to previous new year's Eve, even going back with the understanding they measure more now without of home, but how did it do comparatively to previous new year's Eve games that might not have even been as dramatic as what these two were. What's the reference point? Just real quick. Well, last year on New Year's Eve, which was a Friday, so you're dealing with New Year's Eve and it's also a weeknight, uh, much lower. Neither game had more than 17.2 million viewers. Uh, you go back, the previous New Year's Eve was uh, quite a few years earlier. I think it was just uh, 2016. Actually, by today's standards, those games did pretty well. Both were at the 19 million mark. But uh, those what were those, those games and were they blowouts? What, who were the matchups? And I can tell uh, you if they those were, were Alabama, Washington, Alabama, Killed them. two touchdowns and Killed then 31, them. 31, nothing Ohio State. Losing. Yes. Yeah. So and those so, the, those games, no drama, certainly in the second. Exactly. game. Nothing building right. in the second game because the Ohio State Clemson game was the second game on that day. And I'm just curious, too. Was that on a Saturday? I may be remembering yeah. that was a Saturday. It was. So it kind of helped. Because a Saturday is a traditional college football yep. game. Not as many people working. Not as many people are going to work on a weekday, obviously, with the New Year's right. Day holiday, a national holiday. But a Saturday is a traditional game, a day, yeah. game day for college football. So I just wonder how much that helped. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the previous New Year's Eve playoffs and 15, the first New Year's Eve playoffs as well, those were on a Thursday and one was 157 million the other was 18.6 so mm. definitely the best new year's eve uh, uh semifinals. obviously out of home playing a role as well but i i don't think it was the only role uh 
What do you think about TCU and Georgia as we look ahead to next Monday? We theorized about this. We theorized what happens if it's Ohio State and TCU. What is your thought on a Monday night standalone national title game? You get the Dallas-Fort Worth market, but you don't get the brand name Michigan that has a hate factor the same way as TCU. What are your thoughts about Monday? And maybe do I sneak a little ratings thought or projection from you for Monday night? Sure. Well, it's got to be a good game. All of it depends on it being a good game. And Georgia is favored by two touchdowns the last I checked. Uh, The reality of the matter is if TCU can threaten an upset, you'll get you'll get a solid number. I still think TCU Ohio state could have done really well if it was close because you have Ohio state, Ohio state, Michigan was the number one in my view. Uh, and you know, you got neither. So if you're going to get either one of Ohio state or Michigan, you want Ohio state. So Ohio state TCU, in my view, and I've said before, people were upset at me for, for suggesting this. I still think that would have been, if you can't get Ohio state, Michigan, then that's the one you would want. Second, you would want Georgia, Michigan, right? Dead last, you would want Georgia TCU. But all that really matters is the quality of the games. And if TCU makes it close, if it's, if it's, I mean, it's really, it's just the quality of the games. That's mm-hmm. all you need. Okay, you can reference have TCU point. Versus- Re- to your point, reference point. Last year, it was two SEC teams, Georgia and Alabama. It was a close game into the fourth period. What did it end up doing, just as the reference point for this Monday, between two teams in the South in the championship game, close game? It was about the same number of viewers as Georgia-Ohio State had, actually. I think From the was, other night, right? Yeah, it was slightly higher than that, maybe 22.6 or something like that, million viewers, yeah. So how good is the game? That's an yeah. important part of this. Yeah. And uh, and we will wait to see uh, how it all does play out. What a story TCU is. Yeah, and they've uh, got the underdog done. energy. Then they've got mm. that whole hypnotoad thing going on from Futurama. It <laughs> took a while for people to actually start mentioning Futurama when they mentioned <sighs> the hypnotoad. But and now uh, they're mentioning whether Jim Harbaugh is going to stick around or flirt with the NFL for like the third yeah. year in a row, which he's apparently doing again after losing the semifinal game. What a wild game that was! Yes. What yeah. else? Anything else? Well, I was going to say, you know, the great Dave Nagel, formerly of ESPN, uh, pointed out to me that, you know, as great as the games were, you know, once the playoff expands, the regular season is going to lose something. Of course. And uh, let me echo want- that. Can yeah. I elaborate? Sure. Enjoy this one and enjoy one more next year with all the drama of a semifinal in a championship game. And I'm not going to start something that we're going to go on or I'm going to pontificate for five more minutes. But let's just say it this way. College football has never been like the NCAA tournament. It has always been based on let's have the two best teams make sure they play each other. That's what the BCS was trying to do. But it was flawed. And what everybody understood was, how do we make sure it's the two best teams? Okay, let's play a game for each of them, a semifinal game, to make sure we get the air quotes, best two teams. That's where the college football playoff idea was born. What is now going to be put into place is essentially like the NFL, a second season, or the other the other sports, a second season. And the end of the regular season absolutely yeah. isn't going to matter for those that are in the top five, those that yeah. are undefeated, because you're going to be in the playoff anyway. Yeah. And I will say that 8,000 times between now and whenever I'm no longer doing this, you've destroyed the end of the regular season yeah. when you start having 11 postseason games for the yeah. champion instead of three. So I echo, I echo that. Uh, completely because all that will matter is what did somebody do in January in the postseason 
over the course of four weeks. Keep in mind, it will play out over four weekends of games. And by the way, you're going to get plenty of bad games in those first two rounds, too. That people are going to, you're going to have people lamenting. I'm on the front end, John. Why did we have to have this many games? This is ridiculous. This is stupid. So we're going to keep track and keep keep receipts on people that wanted to have more that are now going to complain when we do have more and they're bad. I'm just saying. Well, you know, maybe they could have just had instead of a set format, whatever format suits the season. If you've got five teams that everybody Mm. thinks are really good, you adjust around that, you know, I mean. But we know, you know this, I know you know this. They sold out for the money, the humongous money that's out there for these extra playoff games. We know why they did it. Just don't come crying to me when they're all bad games and you've destroyed the end of the regular season. And it ends up being Alabama. It's not the NFL. You have have essentially about – 40 or 50 teams that play one one level of college football and another 70 or so or 80 that don't play at that level, and they're not going to be included in this. The NFL has 32 teams, and again, they play an even schedule of a division and out of division, and it's all equitable with a salary cap and free agency. You don't have that in college football, yet you're trying to turn this into an NFL postseason with 11 postseason games now, with 12 teams and 11 postseason games. I'm off yeah. my soapbox. I promised I wouldn't go for five minutes on that. Uh, all right. Are we good on that yeah. subject? Georgia TCU coming. We finish it up uh, with a few of these. Here we go. Love it or leave it. Did you have anything that you loved from the New Year's weekend? Because I've got something as it relates to Mississippi State and Mike Leach and the tribute to him. Anything first for you? Did you love something about New Year's weekend? It can even be non-sports related. Anything that you loved Coming off the New Year's Eve, New Year's Day weekend, anything good? Well, you know, it's kind of strange. You know, it was happening right as uh, right as Demar Hamlin was struggling. It was happening at the exact same time, and I was watching on the split screen uh, Donovan Mitchell scoring mm. seventy-one points. It was mm. a very bizarre juxtaposition because they were so thrilled and just having the time of their lives with uh, Donovan Mitchell in one part of the screen. The other part of the screen is the Bills and all of the agony that they were dealing with. And, uh, you know, so I can't really fully say I enjoyed it, but certainly Donovan Mitchell scoring 71 points, LeBron having 43. I did not watch Clay Thompson. He had 54. There were a tremendous amount of uh, high quality NBA performances lately. The NBA is is kind of strange right now. The Nets are really good and the Lakers, they've even won two straight. They're still terrible, but they're, you know, you uh, bring up a great point that under a normal circumstance, that would have been everywhere for 24 hours or so what he did scoring 71 because it was the most since Kobe's what eight. 84, 81, 81, 81 that he had. And yeah. I still keep bringing this up because we had other occasions. Remember David Robinson one year, I'm older yeah. than you. David Robinson scored 70 right on like the final day of the regular season to win the scoring title. Although there's still some conspiratorialists that think that whoever they were playing laid down on purpose because there was some Shaq hate, some Shaquille O'Neal hate. Yeah. They didn't want Shaq to win the scoring title. So David Robinson mysteriously they didn't need to lay down they were the clippers they were terrible but they scored he scored 45 points above his average obviously on the final day almost like he was being allowed in the low post to score over and over again so there was some suspicion about that i still say this just to all the audience and i never saw wilt chamberlain play live i've seen him play on tv replays on youtube etc when you talk about a hundred points in a game nobody has come close to that you mentioned kobe Kobe's 81 points. That's not close to 100. 95 is close to 100. 97 is really close to 100. That is still remarkable. I mean, I saw the stat the other night while we're talking about loving it. I saw the stat when Luka Doncic got the 60-20-10 game. 
Yeah. All right. 60 points, 20 rebounds, 10 or more assists. Amazing night. Here we go again with this has never happened before in Preston. Did you see Will Chamberlain had a stat line in the 1960s after the 100-point night? He had 60-plus points, John Lewis. He had 30-plus rebounds in the game. He had 10-plus assists in the game. He had 10-plus block shots in the game and 10-plus steals in the game. An yeah. absolute video game, uh, just statistically stupid night, unreal yeah. night of what Wilt the Stilt used to do. You can argue different NBA, not that, but still, 60, 60, 30, 10, 10, and 10? Yeah. Incredible when you go back and look at the numbers. Loving, loving some. Uh, of that. And by the way, my love it was the Mississippi State tribute to Mike Leach. I got to work the local radio coverage of the ReliaQuest Bowl while you were split screening uh, the Purdue game and the Tulane great comeback with USC. I was working Mississippi State and Illinois. The Bulldogs pulled it out. It was a neat moment at Raymond James Stadium with about 40,000 in attendance and a national TV audience watching on ESPN of probably several million on January 2nd where the Mississippi State band spelled out Leach. And again, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. They spelled out Leach at the end of their tribute that they were doing on the field. They put a video tribute up on the board. The Illinois fans stood. The Mississippi State fans stood. Standing ovation. We did a moment of silence. If we're talking about loving it, and then his team goes out and wins the game. They had the pirate, as Mike Leach was known as the pirate, the coach. They had the pirate on the helmet. The image of Will Rogers, the quarterback, waving the Mike Leach pirate flag at the end of the game. Loved me some of that, some uh, some faith in humanity on that. Let's continue. Love it or leave it. Out of the awful Damar Hamlin situation, can we love us some people that have donated and donated and donated? Yeah. The Bills Mafia, their fan base, everybody else around sports and the NFL donating. They have now raised over $4.5 million since Monday night while we're doing this podcast on the donations, on the GoFundMe donations. Damar Hamlin has done a Christmas program as a second-year player in, in Baltimore for, uh, I'm sorry, in Buffalo for toys. He was trying to raise more money with a toy drive for toys for the holidays. The goal had been, John Lewis, for a couple of thousand extra dollars, 2500 extra dollars, $4.5 million. Yeah. Love that. Keep it up. Faith in humanity to begin 2023 is somewhat restored. Your thought on that? Yeah, I mean, it's always, you know, uh, good to see people doing that kind of thing. And the reality of the matter is, uh, you know, it kind of makes me almost a little bit sad that the initial drive was so modest. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but maybe we should probably be doing this kind of stuff just generally, and not just mm -hmm. when somebody is in in dire dire. Well, I give you, I give you a perfect example. Andy Dalton, now the Saints quarterback, the former Bengals quarterback. He and his wife donated, I believe, three thousand dollars to the cause. Many others, NFL players and others, are donating. Yeah. Um, but, but remember when Andy Dalton got the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs a few years ago on the final day of the of the regular season, yep. they won a game that meant nothing for them. Here we go into this weekend, week 18 of the NFL, where you've got teams that means nothing for them, but it means something for the other team or tiebreakers. So Andy Dalton led a touchdown drive in the final minute against Baltimore where he threw the game-winning touchdown on fourth down. Yep. And because of that win... 
by virtue of that win, the Buffalo Bills, who had won earlier in Miami, got in the playoffs for the first time in like 15 years. They'd been in the playoffs. And the Bills Mafia, again, went to Andy Dalton's foundation unsolicited and began to donate tens of thousands of dollars. He got over 150, over $200,000 of donation, like almost immediately because they wanted to say thank you to Andy Dalton. Yeah. So these are the good things in sports. We love we love seeing this, and that was tied to a game. This is tied to an awful circumstance with Hamlin and his family, and we'll see what happens um, with the rest of it. Anything else on that before we move on? Uh, no, I think you covered it quite well. Uh, I, I would say, I, I, you know, I wonder sometimes about the, kind of the reverse. You mentioned the Andy Dalton, and I'm thinking about this kid, Noah Ruggles, and I wonder if he's got any causes that, uh, you know, he would want people to donate to. I mean, he's, you know, you've seen the kind of heat he's taken on social media. That might be a good uh, place. You're so. talking about the kicker, right, yeah. for Ohio State. And it's interesting. Right. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Noah is a Tampa kid who kicked at Steinbrenner High School. Mm-hmm. I am doing this podcast, as I have done the entire time with you, in the shadow of that high school. I live right here by that school. That's where my twins are currently going to high school. Noah was the kicker also at NC State. Noah also, I will just say this on the podcast, brought some of this on himself with how he acted last year when he kicked the winning field goal in the Rose Bowl against Utah. That needs to be out there, too. So he brought some of it on himself when he missed the kick after acting the way that he did. But yes, you're right. When the kickers miss uh, in college, especially not the pros, some of the behavior is awful. So we'll leave it on that. Not a love it. We'll leave it on that. Let's act. Let's act a little better. But how about that in tying it to the Reeves clan, Steinbrenner High School in North Tampa? And that's where my two go. Uh, just I, can't to, believe uh, I can't believe there's a high school named after George Steinbrenner. I know there is. It's amazing. He was very philanthropic with donating all over the place, including in Tampa. And uh, and they named a school after him, uh, just like the Yankee Spring Training Stadium is now George Steinbrenner uh, Field. Yeah. Uh, down where the Yankees play, but you're right. And, and and I've had to educate my twins on who George Steinbrenner is. They have no idea. John, the students that go to that school have no idea unless wow. they're adult, you know, parents, grandparents, relatives. Tell Seinfeld them. fans. Huh? They're not Seinfeld fans because Seinfeld's been off the air 25 years. Sure Do I has. want to say that? That we're older. Years. They don't I know remember. Jerry, my friend, they don't know who Jerry Seinfeld is. Yeah, well. It's, it's, uh, we got to teach them down the road about how, how ahead of the curve that was. And they always made fun of uh of george of george steinbrenner for sure uh another one here love it or leave it while we're handing out love it or leave it those paramedics and the team doctors and trainers for the bills and the Bengals and the doctors that were on hand and the paramedics that were on hand that were performing cpr on damar hamlin we we throw around hero way too much in sports heroic effort hero this those people were amazing heroes and uh, it, it is uh, it, it goes on all the time in stadiums and situations with players that are seriously injured or somebody that's stricken or whatever happens to them. Remember, Mike Hart, the Michigan assistant coach, the former running back, was stricken with a medical episode in their game with Indiana. And I believe they had to shock his heart back into place with the seizure he was having. And he thanked the Indiana team doctors, the Indiana paramedics that helped him. This goes on. In a lot of sports, in a lot of arenas, hockey, basketball, baseball, where there's episodes with fans that we may not know about, those paramedics, fire and rescue, doctors, they are heroes, John. And we should say love it to them as well. 
There was a classic example. They saved his life. Yeah. They saved his life on the field and got him uh, to the uh, to the hospital. And not unlike the other ones I listed earlier on, there were numerous ones where they saved, they were able to save the life of, uh, of Deontay Yuri Johnson. Fisher. De- Deontay Johnson, the same yeah. thing, the Florida Gator basketball yeah. player in the game in December of 2020 that collapsed during a game with rival Florida State. Mm-hmm. The doctors on hand, the, uh, the uh, team trainers, were able to resuscitate him. The paramedics and the ambulance saved his life. Yeah. So we should recognize those people. Yeah. Well done on that. All right, anything else in closing? We've done a lot. We've covered a lot. Anything else that hasn't been said? Any other subject that you want to cover as we get into 2023 here in January? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, people should try to stop speculating about you know people when they have horrible health issues and, and trying to use it to advance their political arguments. Obviously, I'm talking about a lot of these folks trying to tie it to the COVID vaccine. Idiots. I'll be stronger than you. Idiots. Idiots. Keep going. Yeah, it's a terrible thing to do. Um, You know, uh, it's it's a terrible thing to do wherever it's coming from. Like on the Keontae Johnson circumstance, it was actually coming from the other direction. People were trying to suggest he had COVID and, uh, you know, we're using that to argue people shouldn't don't play sports. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, but certainly you get a lot more of it from the anti-vaccine side. And and uh, I would recommend, uh, you know, uh, politely that they reconsider uh, what exactly it is they're doing, because they certainly are not doing their side of their argument any favors by every single time somebody has something horrible happen to them. They're there. They're there trying to do the I told you so dance, the nastiest and most disgusting dance. It's horrible. And 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 I'll add to it. They are people that should be ignored and dismissed. I mean, they, we, we get to have a voice in, to some degree, but at some point you ignore and dismiss those that want to repeatedly on either side be idiots right. about this stuff. Anything else or are we um, good? I think we've covered it all. It was, you know, not a, not the best start to the year. I'm a pretty superstitious person. Uh, when David Stern died on the first day of 2020, I thought that's not a good sign. And uh, that <laughs> year that year turned out to be uh, hot garbage. As we wow, all know. that's true. So I'm uh, very hopeful that, uh, you know, that this year will be a lot better than uh, than it has started. Uh, And, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, Hopefully everything will work out with with uh, DeMar Hamlin. And, uh, you know, uh, the reality of the matter is football is a pretty kind of screwed up sport in a lot of ways. Even just on Sunday, the day before DeMar Hamlin, Josh Sweat was seriously injured and, you know, we have this little routine. Someone has been horrendously injured, but they give us that thumbs up and that thumbs up is basically, oh, they're perfectly fine. Okay, let's go back to playing. And mm-hmm. it's kind of a ridiculous thing because, you know, one, we probably should not be depending on people strapped to stretcher backboards to give us a thumbs up to reassure us that we could continue playing the game, right? We probably should not put that on them. Uh, and uh, the reality of the matter is it was a horrible thing that happened. I'm not going to say it was a wake up call because I don't think this should ever have happened. But certainly, you know, it was bound to happen eventually that we weren't going to get reassured when something horrible happened to a football player. It was just bound to happen. Right. Uh, and uh, you well, know. the thumbs up. Can I just tell you real quick, goes back to yeah. another Detroit Lion. We've been talking about this. Mike Utley, he originally gave the thumbs yeah. up in the late 1980s after he had been paralyzed as it turned out on the field and they continued on and that Detroit team made the playoffs 
And that's where and the whole thumbs up game became kind of their mantra for the rest of the season. So that's kind of where that and that that has always been something now that future players should let their teammates, let their family, let the fans know that's I'm going to be okay. You're just saying contemplate the bigger picture that maybe we shouldn't just be expecting that. And maybe we should be a little more mindful. Then again, we're not going to go down a rabbit hole for another 15 minutes. Football is a very violent sport with serious injury. And the players that are involved know the risks and have signed up for it and understand you can be seriously hurt here. And this was an extreme case, a very extreme case yes. that yes. we've been talking about. Yes. And, you know, you brought up a good point. Uh, some They're not trying to reassure us. They're trying to reassure their family and friends. And that is, mm-hmm. that is something they should try to do. Uh, but, you know, look, I mean, I, I do think we use that as licenses too often to say, OK, it's all fine. Because who even remembered that Josh Sweat was injured even mm-hmm. before what happened? Uh, with 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 uh, Demar Hamlin, so you know uh, it's it's it is you accept these types of things in these types of sports. You accept auto racing, the reality of auto racing. Uh, anything can happen in any sport. Anything can happen in any sport. Uh, gymnastics is coming back this week on Friday. You know anything. You know you're talking about people flipping through the air. Yes. You know, and anything can happen. There's far worse things that can happen than breaking your legs right so the reality of the matter is a lot of these sports are dangerous tyler zombro the durham uh, what was the durham bulls am i right hit Maybe? with the line drive exactly. pitcher in the head horrific yes and luckily and, he recovered and i i actually i i remembered something i wanted to bring up uh when jalen brown in the nba he had a dunk and he just fell wrong and he fell basically flush on his head and he mm-hmm. was very fortunate to be all right uh, so these things can happen in the NBA, basketball as well. But I, I, I wanted to bring up one of the things I want to praise Buck and Aikman for. When, when Jalen Brown had that happen to him, immediately Reggie Miller, and we all love Reggie, but he's a loquacious guy, right? Immediately he's like, oh, he might have broken his leg, his neck. He might have, you know, he's running through all the possibilities, and it's that's not what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So I would like, and maybe it's a good way to end on Buck and Aikman. I would just praise them for for not speculating, for not filling the empty air with, you know, words that are not helpful. And hypotheticals that aren't needed. Exactly. Catch you on that. John Lewis, great job. Anything else? Well, I should probably praise Ryan Clark and and Booger McFarland, uh, certainly, uh, who uh, really, uh, I praise Scott Van Pelt. Van Pelt couldn't have done what he did without Ryan Clark. Mm -hmm. It's a two-way street. Uh, and Booger McFarland uh, in a very thankless job that he uh, sure. Colber and, and, and Schefter had. Uh, Colber is great. Colber is in the upper echelon. Pro. pro. She wasn't, Absolute pro. She wasn't given a, 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 a good role, you know, so she didn't have she, it wasn't her best work because it's an impossible role. Correct. Yeah. You know, so, but she's one of the best ever at ESPN in the history of the company. So, and and not unlike Al Michaels with the earthquake or these different things you talked about with 9/11 or when these moments happen. Even Chris Berman that night back in 1990 with Hank Gathers. I mean, Chris Berman was the rock star of ESPN. Dan Patrick had only been there like a year. Bob Lee had been there uh, from the inception with Berman, but to have him covering it that night. It took on different significance of he knows how to handle this. He's a pro. Same thing from Susie Colber. Same thing from the pros that were there. And we've done a bunch on all of this. My friend, Happy New Year on another edition of the the podcast. Same to the audience. As we rock on, we're usually out midweek. 
with the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. We covered a lot here. Keep reading John's site for the very latest on all of this. Great job, John. Thank you, my friend. All right. Thank you. And we thank all of you for listening. Follow or subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Spread the word in 2023. The audience has been growing. Keep us growing on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast.